Hey crew, how you doing? Coach here. Glad you could take a couple of minutes uh, at the end of your week or whenever you happen to be listening to this. I really am. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. And I thought about uh, this week's title quite a bit, and it basically came from, I would say, uh, reading some of the platforms this, this past week. Facebook and Reddit. Let me share it with you just a little bit, okay? Because it's a, it's a topic that I hear a lot about, but not a lot of detail about. You know, on the platforms, there are uh, thousands and thousands of people asking questions and looking for solutions. And many of the posts or the answers kind of come in this form or fashion. For some thread posters, it's all about go native. Go find your local college extension, go find your county ag extension and find out what the native plants are in your area and use that instead of your typical ornamental landscape uh, shrubs trees and lawn now many suggest going native in a way that will alleviate problems of what these people are looking for for instance drought tolerance uh, maybe maintenance and adaptation to the new native landscape theme or theory that goes behind it. I have some thoughts about this today. You may like some and you may not like others. Listen to me all the way through and I'll explain that. So once again, I am glad you are here with me today. Let's get this podcast underway, shall we? I'll be right back. Hey, I'm Matt and you can call me coach. Every week I bring to you DIY landscape education, design concepts and theories in a hopefully easy to understand format so you can tackle projects yourself, get the pro results you want, be a heck of a lot more self-reliant and proud of where you live and own and save a boatload of money in the process. So you have a landscape problem and have tried to think it through. You want to improve a particular area, problem area of your landscape, and you reach out to others for suggestions and advice. Kudos, that's where to start. Do a little due diligence, do a little research. You hear about native plants as a possible solution. And in some, I'm gonna say minority situations, it might make sense, but what I see is an incomplete thought from a lot of posters out there. Many posts don't suggest a particular variety or what direction of native plant to go with. They just want to throw, you really need to try a native and uh, natural landscaping from your area that adapts to the soils and the conditions you have there. Well, you know something? In theory, that sounds really good. But today, I would really like to open some eyes to this thought process and then make you have a much more knowledge-based decision platform on where you can go. Many native varieties, believe it or not, is where thousands and thousands and thousands of ornamental varieties originated. You know, hybridizers and horticulturists over the past 150 years have taken many varieties that grow naturally out in the forests, the deserts, the grasslands, the swamps, everywhere from all locations and have created these ornamental varieties to adapt to our more commercial or residential ornamental landscapes. And the reason they've had to do that 
is because many of the natives don't always thrive or even survive in a residential setting. They really don't. They, they struggle. Unless you're creating the type of environment of where this thing was pulled from, let's say, let's say uh, a Georgia swamp or the high country of the Appalachian Mountains or the high country of the Rockies, it doesn't always work. They need that particular environment to survive and thrive. You know, native plants out there, they have basically one thing on their minds, reproduction and spread of the species. Well, now that I think of it, that kind of sounds like human beings in a way. But for native plants, that's what they have in mind. And when I say spread of the species, I mean just that. If you get into native grasses, some native perennials, native shrubs and trees, they are notorious for a heavy bloom and a very heavy seed production. And sometimes that can be very counterproductive in our residential landscapes. That's not something that we always want. I'll give you a classic example. There was a, a grass that came on the market a few decades ago and it was, uh, it was all the rage where I worked for a while. And in a lot of the more uh, arid environments, Southern California, the deserts, Texas, that kind of thing. It was called Mexican feather grass, also known as steepa grass. And this stuff had this beautiful blowing in the wind, very fine, light, airy looking type of grass that grew up about 24 to 30 inches. And then the seed plume would be up above that. And everybody said, oh, I wanna have this, I wanna have this, I wanna have this. And I can remember putting it in when it first came out, about the first year. And then I did a little research on it and found out that those seed heads can blow anywhere from five to 105 feet away from a single plant. And they root from seed very easily. And pretty soon you have a planting bed, then a lawn, then the other side of your yard, and in some cases your neighbors and neighbors' yards that suddenly have steepa grass coming up all over the place. Now it is a native grass, you know, I believe it originates in Mexico, but don't hold me to that. But <laughs> there's a classic example of going native and using something that doesn't use much water, but with a huge backlash. So when people were asking me for this particular plant, I would say, I can, but here's my disclaimer. And then I would also educate them about make sure you deadhead this stuff before it goes to seed. You know, when you start to see the seed plumes, it's time to give it a, uh, a crew top and cut it and keep it that way. Otherwise, you're gonna have problems. Many natives need an environment really that mirror the native's natural location. And uh, you know, I'll tell you right now, traveling northbound up through the, the, the Appalachian Mountains, and there's perennials and ferns and forbs and orchids and trees that just literally, I, I stop and go out and look because I've never seen these things before. But then I've also found things growing out here as a native. For instance, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. How about Vinca Minor? the uh, lavender periwinkle ground cover. That stuff grows, that stuff grows like a weed out here. It's, it's the ground cover of some of the, the high Appalachian forests, especially what I've seen along the, uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway in those areas. It, it's a fantastic ground cover and it is one of the exceptions, but 
it's not the native Vinca that you see at the nurseries. Those have been hybridized to be bigger blooms, variegated leaves, uh, more adaptable to more water from a residential landscape. But there it is, it's, it's growing out there in the hills and pretty hardy stuff. I mean, it's, it's down to like zero or so. But in your landscape, can you replicate desert hillsides, natural desert hillsides, deep forest, duff covered grounds, uh, a streamside environment? Now, some of you may, maybe you have a waterfront property and you've got a creek running through the backyard. And I'll bet you anything, there's probably some kind of native stuff there already. But uh, how about a water situation? Maybe the particular natives that are available need a lot of rain or they need no rain. And you've tried to mix natives in with ornamental grass and that kind of stuff. And you're gonna be banging your head against the wall sometimes, you really are. In most residential landscapes, those environments just can't be replicated to support a good, and I'm talking for the average residential homeowner. I'm not talking about a uh, fanatic. I'm not talking about someone who's really into this type because then you're going to create those environments that'll let these things thrive. But for the average John and Jane homeowner, these things tend to be a little bit more work than they're worth unless you have a really rural undeveloped location that you've created your home on and maybe you're just gonna leave it au natural. In that case, this whole freaking podcast is mute. It really is, you know, just leave it the way it is. Mow around the house and keep a fire break and you're good. Just let everything else be au natural. Then you've gone native, you really have. In order to meet residential needs though, many families have certain requirements and those requirements have to meet the needs of kids, pets, outdoor entertainment with families and friends, maybe play areas for the kids, maybe vegetable gardens for mom and dad to do a little bit of sustainable gardening, maybe water features. And a lot of that stuff is not always conducive to native plant material. In theory, really, in theory and in small percentage applications, native landscapes are a bona fide alternative, but it is so much easier if you're gonna go native, Go 100% native, like I said, and be out in the rural of the rural part of your area. Just keep it controlled right around the house. And the rest of it, let it be. Many are smaller or larger than ornamental varieties of say the same genus. There was some that were, oh, out west. Let me pull up a thought here for a second. Ceanothus, California lilac, a California native out there. And California lilac out there was a 12 to 20 foot, almost small tree, a very large shrub, and in some cases, almost a small tree. And that doesn't always work in the small residential landscapes that most people have in, you know, the suburbs. You know, most people are on a 65 or 70 foot wide lot by 100 feet, and that's not the most common type of application for a California lilac. But hybridizers have taken them and Good Lord, now they have them down to three and four feet with fantastic, instead of the light lavender colors, now they have cobalt blues. They have some that's like a, there's one called Carmel Creeper that's a, kind of a tall ground cover for great erosion control on hillsides and stuff. So they're the, the adapted varieties 
of what used to be out in the wild. You know, sometimes you'll have a little bit of a conflict with mixing together various natives. You know, say for instance, you go to the, the county's local native nursery, if you have such a beast, and they say, oh yeah, here's some, here's some of this and here's some of that. And they go, oh good, I, I'm going native. I, I'm going, I'm gonna save a lot of, lot of money on water bills and I'm not gonna have much care and that kind of stuff. But make sure you have someone that's very well versed and make sure you don't have a conflict in the varieties that you're choosing. Some of the natives might be understory plants. Some of the natives might require a highly acidic soil because they grow under conifer-based native trees like pine tree or cedar or whatever. And the biggest thing about native plant material is that uh, mother nature kind of selects where the plants will work and not us. You know, for as many seeds that come up from native plant A, maybe only 10% are really going to make it to maturity because there's going to be animals that browse on it or a heavy snow that wipes out part of the crop one year. And this is just natural selection taking place. You know, in nature, some plants take hold and others perish. It's just the way of the natural world, but not always the way of the ornamental landscape world. And here's another thing. This is another thought that I have about it. We often, as human beings, and as homeowners, we often have a budget and we can't approach landscaping in a, well, maybe it'll work mode. Plants are freaking expensive. Natives are just as much, if not more expensive. And a trial and error approach is not what most homeowners willing to DIY their landscape themselves really want to face. And that's why I'm saying, only the, the highly skilled experts and the native fanatics are the ones that are really good at it, but they're the ones that put hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours worth of education and training and trial and error into it. If you have that much time, then have at it. Give it a shot and see what happens. But this whole podcast is all about do it, but do it with some caution. Most folks that I've ever, you know, interacted with, either as customers or consulting with them, most folks want success. Most want the biggest bang for their landscape buck. Most want to be conservative in some way, shape, or form, yet still have things look good, have all their needs met. And many don't have, believe it or not, many are, they're, they're not the greenest thumb people in the world. Many times, some of them even have brown thumbs. And there's nothing more frustrating to a brown thumb person to say, okay, I think I can. They go out and get something, ornamental or native, put it in the ground incorrectly. It dies inside 60 days and they say, see, there you go. I can't grow crap. So they give up. And those are the people that have that yard to look at in the neighborhood because they haven't thought things out. Well, now tell someone like that to go native and see what happens. Their native is letting their yard go to shit. That's, that's them going native. And I don't think you wanna have that kind of neighbor. So I would much rather be able to reach out and educate somebody like that so that they can go and get the plants that are gonna be successful for them. And if they wanna read up over the course of the next two to five years on natives, they wanna go get a second piece of property and go native on it, then have at it, have at it. So uh, coach, uh, where will natives work? You seem to be kind of anti-native if I'm picking up on what you're putting down. Actually, I'm not, and I've kind of covered that here. 
You know, if you have a, a, a rural or even a remote piece of property, say you, you bought yourself 10 acres up in the hills and uh, it's surrounded by native landscape of one kind or another, as long as you have your residential setting taken care of, in maybe a real minimalistic fashion, then all you have to really worry about is a fire break, possibly, out west, that's almost required by law now. Where I used to practice up in the California foothills, a lot of people went native. Their places didn't always look quite right, but they were native, and they just had their 100-footed defensible space around it, and the rest of it was a gravel driveway up through a natural landscape. It didn't look that bad, but those were people that didn't do a thing to where they were at. Now, you go to, uh, let's say, a residential development in City A. You're just outside the big city, you're in the suburbs, but you're on your 65 by 100 foot lot. And now you try to replicate what those people did in the remote rural areas outside your area, it's gonna to be tough. My solution was always to point out that there are some ornamental varieties some. I mentioned one, California lilac. Another one is manzanita. There are some ornamental varieties that closely resemble native, are from the same damn genus, yet they don't have the, the finicky environmental issues of a true native variety. They don't. And that is where hybridizers and horticulturists have saved our bacon. They really have. It just takes a little bit of research and a little bit of due diligence on your part to find those, you know? And I really implore those people that are talking about going native, you need to go native, you need to go with native plants, to start offering suggestions of what plant material and what varieties and where people can locate them because there's not a lot of native nurseries out there as a percentage basis compared to ornamental type of nurseries. So think about that. So when you hear, check with your local co-op extension of your local college or your extension, your ag extension of your local county and seek out native solutions to fix the dilemma. Don't take it at face value, don't. Determine for yourself why native would work for you and consider the pitfalls as well. Work on finding hybridized versions of those natives that you might think work better, but they probably have a lot less pickiness in your yard. I'm addressing this for the majority of those homeowners out there that need solutions within their skill set and time allotment in life. If you have that ability, time, and skill to replicate an environment that will sustain natives successfully, then by all means, have at it. Good luck. You know, but not everything has to be landscaped according to the local honeybees or the local bug or the local nut seed bird that is in your area. We generally have to landscape based on our own personal needs our own personal needs, and how it works for you and your family. Many specialized native nurseries will not guarantee their plant stock like other nurseries do. Because the customer's lack of knowledge and the environment they're going into, I, I'm not gonna put a percentage basis on it, but I would say that uh, a lot of them don't always succeed in what they buy. They may try it, but then they may not be successful at it. And if you're throwing down 10 bucks for a gallon can, whatever, and you're throwing down 10 bucks for a native, and you know that ornamental one, you've got a better than 50% chance that it's going to get in the ground correctly, it's gonna grow for you, and it's gonna do and fill the need that you want it to. And then there's 
Joe Native plant over here where you can't water it except between the months of February and April. And then it's supposed to be dry as a bone the rest of the year because that's its environment. Sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes that's hard to do in a residential landscape. In closing, I think decades of work on the part of the professional hybridizers and horticulturists have aided in recreating certain cultivars of natives that allow for the best of both worlds. I really do. Low water consumption, positive side of the native species and less of the downside, like, you know, like I told you about that Mexican feather grass. Reduction in ongoing time consuming maintenance. So coach, would you put or have a native landscape yourself? <laughs> not in an ornamental setting, no. Not in a residential developed area, no, I would not. The only way I would do it is if I was out in the sticks. If I was out in the sticks and me getting older, I don't wanna take care of a lot of stuff anymore. I would probably do the old defensible space thing and let the, the rest of the acreage or whatever it could be natural. I think I could buy off on something like that. I, I think I would have a natural landscape as much as possible using ornamental plant material in and around uh, my dwelling. I think I would have a landscape that required little to no hedging or altering the plant's natural shape and size. You know, over on YouTube, check out the video I did on spacing and the, the alterations of how plants go in the ground and then we butcher them and box them and ball them up into green meatballs. Some people like it, I do not. I would, I would use plant material that could blend well with those surroundings that are out beyond my defensible space. But I don't want to try out and do you know, and outdo mother nature. Nah, she's the ultimate landscaper along with the man upstairs and millions of years of plant evolution I cannot replicate in a residential landscape. You know, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna leave that natural wilderness out there to be just that. And I'll go visit that and uh, immerse myself in that environment when I need to recreate myself and re-inspire myself, because that's where I go to do it. You find what many would call, uh, well, let, let's just call it what it is. You can go out into the forest and you can find certain plants that if you bring them into your ornamental landscape, they're eventually called weeds. And that's why Mother Nature has so much checks and balances out there, because a lot of that stuff out there is Yes, it is a variety of plant, but it's essentially a weed if you brought it into your yard and it can spread. You, you can find uh, many competing native species. And when I say competing, they're gonna compete against a lot of your ornamental stuff for space. And in some cases they can be really invasive. You know, that fast spreading grass seed and other stuff, man, I don't, I'm, I'm cautioning you. You find complementary species that have to go together so that they both survive, also known as companion plants. If you've ever been down in the desert, you know, you'll find these nursery plants. And I don't mean nursery as in go buy a plant at a nursery. I'm talking about a nursery plant where you'll have young cactuses and stuff. The only place that they truly germinate is underneath a nursery plant. And I find that fascinating that Mother Nature has designed this because the cactus is so slow growing and it stays there in this nursery environment for 10, 15, 20 years. And then eventually the nursery plant kind of hits its golden years and eventually dies off. And now the cactus takes over and it is now the dominant plant of that area. So companion plants. So this is my take or stand on native landscapes. Good to a point, 
but not a cure-all for all the ills that plague some of our residential landscapes out there and the homeowners that live there, the frustrated homeowners. A good, well thought out approach to landscaping is still the most successful answer I have seen. It's why I constantly preach the planning and due diligence and the self-examination of the homeowner that's gonna do the work to truly, what are your needs, what are your wants, and how can you go about it? You can't re-landscape your yard in a, in a weekend, not in a good way. You have to figure out what your needs and wants are of all involved. It allows for creativity and solutions to the landscape obstacles through established means and established materials that are out there. It can be close to, but I guarantee you, it'll never replicate what is out in the native landscape. So going native, is not for everybody and certainly not the solution for many of the problems posed on social media and other forums. Use good judgment, common sense, due diligence, research, and obvious landscape solutions will be clearer for you than ever before. That, I promise you. It is easy to throw the term go native in text on the privacy of a computer or in print form. It is a whole different story to actually do it and be successful. Well, guys, you know, that's what I have for this week. Thanks, I appreciate it. Hey, if you'd like to help out this old codger, this old retired landscape designer, uh, check out my website, youryardcoach.com. Check out the ebook to help people really be able to landscape their yards by themselves. And of course, the course. I do have a digital DIY landscape educational course called Homescape 1.0. Support me and I will continue to be here. Hey, check me out over there on the channel this week. I'd appreciate you looking at my ugly mug. I'll be covering this topic in a little different fashion, but until then, until I get to talk to you again, I'll see you next week. You guys take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Yard Coach. Check out the original videos on YouTube at Yard Coach or email Coach Matt at youryardcoach at gmail.com. And hey, did you get your free 15-step landscaping project checklist? Check out the podcast description below for the link to your free PDF as well as the YouTube channel for more great information for the DIYer in you. See you next week.